tonight we adjust our focus from parenting or uh, marital issues, and now we're going to look at what does it look to live out a Christ-centered life at work. So if you would stand with me as we pay honor to the reading of God's word tonight, Colossians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse number 22. This is the word of the Lord. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to him for preserving it and keeping it, that we might be able to gather tonight and read it together as a community. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you tonight, and we are so thankful for the opportunity we have to gather and uh, read your word together, uh, to study it, to unpack it, to know how it affects our everyday life in every situation. And Father, I come before you tonight, and I just humbly ask that you would help me to preach your word faithfully, um, that I would be clear uh, from what I've studied and and learned from your word and might be able to communicate that well. Father, help us all in this room to remember that we're not the only people who gather around in our city to preach and proclaim your word. I think of our friends at National Heights and their pastor and staff, Pastor Vaughn Weatherford, and we just ask that you would allow their ministry to grow and increase and they would reach people with the gospel think of our friends at Cherry Street Baptist Church, Pastor Dennis Jennings and their college minister, Kevin Adams. God, we just ask that again for these brothers that their ministries might increase, that their gospel reach might grow. Because uh, we know that we're not the only people in Springfield who are reaching people for the cause of Christ. But even as we do gather tonight, Father, as people uh, covenanted together in membership to Crossway, we ask that you would help us to Put our ear next to your word that we might hear and know the ways that you want us to change and be more like you as a result of reading it together. And we'll be careful to praise you for all that you do and the the change in our own lives as we anticipate it. It's in your son's name that we ask these things. Amen. You can be seated. No one likes being told what to do. No one likes being told what to do or how to live. I mean, how many times have we heard someone say, don't tell me how to live my life? One need only think of that great scene and that wonderful cinematic entertainment movie of fun and great music, depending on who you are, School of Rock, whereas the Jack Black has misled people and uh, lied and is late to an audition and almost loses his mind on those that are hearing the auditions, secretly tells the students to fake that they have a terminal illness. What is that illness? Stick it to the man, meiosis. Really, that's what drove a lot of the great, depending on who you are, 
classic rock music, this angst against the man. The man is keeping me down. The man is keeping me from experiencing my life to the fullest. The man is out to get me. And Christians and non-Christians alike resonate with this message because that's what it's like to go to work for a lot of people. The man is putting me down and telling me what I have to do. This is why we see the explosion of um, self-startup companies because ain't nobody going to tell me how to live my life. I want to be the boss, and I want to tell other people how they have to work for me. This resonates with a lot of college students because uh, we – I remember being a college student. I, I spent my – I paid my dues in the uh, – no fun world of retail. I spent four years under the thumb of, not directly, but indirectly, Johnny Morris at that great company, Bass Pro, answering phones, listening to people yell at me because, no, we can't send you a free fishing rod because you snapped yours because you were an idiot and didn't realize that it was hanging on the trunk and you slammed the trunk door on it. And no, we can't do that. And then um, hearing all kinds of fun language spewing at me. Because we wouldn't take care of their stupid mistakes. Those are the things that stay with you when you spend four years answering phone calls and taking sales and making sure that everyone gets the right exact color plastic lure because that person who's about to throw that worm in a tree definitely needs that right specific lure. Again, not bitter at all um, from the time that I spent there making 765 an hour when I left to go work at a library and make more money. So anyway, we don't like being told what to do. We don't like someone telling us how we're supposed to live. And we don't like that we have to answer to different people, whether they be our jobs at a crummy part-time job, which we're going to talk about tonight, or even when that means submitting to professors who are cruel and mean and take no late work, or this expectation that you get everything done on time, or just different people who are placed in authority over us. I want to be clear tonight, from this text, um, we're really diving back into the first century and talking about slaves and masters, and there's not really a clear-cut correlation between slaves and masters in the 21st century world. Um, probably the closest thing we can get to correlation-wise is our jobs and is working, but we want to make sure that we're not too restrictive to just talk about work. We want to make sure that we're expansive enough to talk about work plus people who are placed in authority over us and being the right kind of workers in those environments as well. But, but I want to be clear tonight, because we live in the hot take world, right? Everybody gets to take a hot take and everybody gets to be upset and express outrage on Twitter because that's an easy place for us to vent our frustration. I remember when Twitter was nice. Now I avoid it because everybody's so angry. And it's fake anger. It's fanger. Because we can expre express outrage, but honestly, the outrage never correlates into any actual type of living out what we're actually upset about. It's just a, a place, an online forum. It used to be hidden in these AOL chat rooms where people would rage. Now we've just promoted it to 
social media, and then your parents and grandparents got on Facebook, and now we've all left there because they're raging about all of us on social media there. So everywhere we turn, people have this, this type of outrage or things about a hot take. And one of those areas, especially when it comes to the Bible, is talking about slavery. And really, this outrage sometimes is justified because for a long time, there were a period uh, and block of people who used the Bible, specifically even this passage, to promote slavery. But if we're careful and we actually read what the Apostle Paul is talking about and we're careful to do our own background study and work here and not be lazy but actually investigate what we find is Paul is actually undermining slavery in the first century world at the time of this writing there's about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire so the idea of one little apostle standing up and being like no more slavery would not have worked in the Roman Empire because the slavery that exists here is larger than any slavery we've ever seen since. There's all kinds of different forms and different ways of living itself out. The Apostle Paul is going to subtly undermine, I think this is what Christianity actually really is good at. It takes the injustices and the wrongs of the world and it subtly undermines them by Christians living prophetically on mission inside of their city. I was listening to a podcast this week, and I think this might help us to understand what we're going after. If we really want to see a, a move of God, like that we haven't experienced in our world in a long time, we have to put to death the idols of the city the things that hold our, the people of our city captive. We could say the things that hold the campuses of our city captive. If we want to see a real move of God on our college campuses, which I hope God has given you a heart to reach the people who are 18 to 25 in Springfield. But in order for us to reach the people that are 18 to 25 in our city, we ourselves have to be free of the idols of the city. And one of the big idols in the first century world slavery and one of the big idols of our 21st century world and even in our city is being slaves to our work and we don't we're not prophetic anymore in our work i think this passage tonight is going to help us to see how we can reclaim ground and begin to see a mighty move of god start maybe in some unsuspecting places some unfamiliar places some places that people wouldn't expect a prophetic move of God to take place in, we can actually start to see Christianity impact and influence the world around us. So we're going to look at these two relationships tonight, just like we've looked at the other two relationships uh, previously to them. And so we're going to start where the biblical text starts. We're going to start with slaves. You're going to see in, the, in parentheses on point one, or we could say employees. Let's look back at verse 22. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. 
Paul begins this section by addressing slaves. Now, let's put this in the context of the first century church. Let's put ourselves into the city of Colossae. Now, churches in that time, the, the wealthy, the influential, the, the people who are the, you could call them the, even the big givers, are up in the front. And the slaves wouldn't have a seat in the place of worship. They would be standing in the back. And it would be highly irregular for the pastor or whoever's reading this letter for slaves to even come into the conversation. One well-known name, and you should know this name, Aristotle understood slaves in the first century world to be equipment, tools. They weren't supposed to be valued. Um, there is nothing of value that a slave brought to the table. And so I guarantee you, if we were sitting in Colossae, and we now move to this section of the letter, whoever is standing in Colossae reading this letter, and remember how we understand New Testament letters written to churches. It didn't go to a deacon board to approve what we're going to read in church. The letter would have been delivered probably by um, Epaphras to the church, and he or one of the other elders in that church would have read it, and the first time they would have read it, they would have broken the seal and read it in its entirety. So understand that everything's cool up to this point. Sure, yeah, we got a little bit weird when we're talking about husbands making sure that they care for their wives. That's kind of not culturally cool, but I guess as a Christian, that's something good. And I guess I won't provoke my kids to anger. But wait a minute, did he seriously just start talking about slaves? Slaves aren't people. So what the Apostle Paul is doing by even addressing bond servants is he's putting the cultural moment on its ear. He's putting it on its ear and saying the people that you view as tools are actually people who are made in the image of God. They're actually people of worth, value, and dignity. Again, highly opposite of the culture that they were living in. This is what Christianity does. It values what the culture devalues. Think about that in the terms of these three groups of people. The culture didn't value women. Christianity comes in and elevates women. The culture doesn't value children. Christianity comes in and says children are valuable. Sound similar to our cultural present moment? Here again... The culture says don't value servants, or we could even say in our cultural moment, who cares about the minimum wage worker? And I know that the minute I said that, some of you are like about to like angry tweet me. You can just come and talk to me. I'm not interested. I'm not here any less. We don't care about those people. And Christianity says if you are an employee or you are a worker, you're valued because you have worth dignity and inherent value because why genesis 1 tells us you're created in the image of god and that line of theology carries its way from genesis 1 1 all the way to uh, the end of the book of revelation this idea that people are made with inherent worth dignity and value so if you come in here tonight and you work at a job where you don't feel like anybody cares about you but i just tell you that god does and he values you and even if the people you work for don't you are valuable in God's eyes. The Apostle Paul is turning the cultural moment on its ear. He says this. 
You got the slave's attention now. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Oh, man, are you kidding me? I got to be obedient? I want to obey. Give us an opportunity to rebel. Give us an opportunity to push back. And the Apostle Paul says, no, under the, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you're supposed to obey your master. But he, notice what he says. And the King James says, masters according to the flesh. Uh, ESV, New American Standard, is helpful, a little bit more helpful here. It talks about them being earthly masters. Because here's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's dropping in a clue here. And we got to be careful. we got to be good. You hear me talk about this all the time. Be good Bible readers. He's reminding them subtly that their bosses are their earthly masters. There's somebody who's a master that doesn't operate in this realm. He says, obey your earthly master or masters according to the flesh. And then he raises the ante. He says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart. So not just being obedient or not just working hard when the boss is around or when the master's around. We work hard, punch in to punch out. We work hard from get up to get down. Monday through Friday, when I'm on the clock, I'm giving my very best effort all the time. This is difficult. It's a high calling. And notice who's motivating the calling. Because this is going to change how we think about the way that we work. It says fearing God. God is the motivation to work hard. Could say it this way. The guy that's respected for getting in early and staying late and works like a dog. Like just will outwork anybody. That guy. That work is only valuable in as much as it's done. With a fear of the Lord. Some of you don't work hard at your job. God calls you out for that. Some of you work hard at your job for the wrong motivations. To get a promotion, to make more money. That's just as bad. Because remember, we've been told time and time again in this series, God is constantly after your heart and the motivation behind what you do and why you do it. So when I punch in early, and I don't actually punch in, but when I show up early and I stay late or I go on a hospital visit at 2 o'clock in the morning or when I'm doing something, picking something up, helping a ministry out, and it's all about me and getting recognition, God says, David, that's wrong. That can't be the motivation for why you pastor the way that you do. It's got to be because you're after my glory and my fame. And as a result of those two things, your own personal good. Because when you work hard, motivated by the Lord, you're able to prophetically speak. Because your motivations aren't driven by your own success. 
Some of you, the reason why you work hard is not because you want God to be pleased with you. It's so you can have a little extra scratch in your pocket at the end of the month to be able to do whatever it is that you want to do. You're only concerned about the next dollar to provide the next little bit of entertainment, whatever that looks like. And your hard work is not motivated by a heart that wants to bring honor and glory to God. That's why he goes on in verse number 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Like this should be the calling card of our generation. Like we get, we, because I am snuck in there, a millennial. Wonderful time to be alive. Especially when people in our church complain about millennials. I'm like, that's me. Those are my people. I don't look like them. That's why you don't think that I'm a millennial. Because I can't, Josh and I were literally just talking about this. I can't, no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to be cool and a hipster or whatever the prototypical millennial is. Like, it just, it's not going to happen in this body. It's just not. And I'm okay with that, I guess. I don't know. I've never known what it looks like to be cool. So I just assume that it's cool to roll this way. Just embrace your, your whatever this is. But millennials get bagged on all the time because they're not hard workers. And I think that's because your generation and my generation are looking for something to buy into. We don't want to just work hard so that Jeff Bezos can make more money and be a gajillionaire and treat people like crap because he, I don't know if you're supposed to say crap when you preach, but we're in the college ministry, so don't tell anybody. And you're going to be treated like garbage because he's just looking to make another dollar. We want to buy into causes. Here's the thing. If you're a Christ follower, you already have a cause regardless of what your job is. It's honoring and glorifying God and pointing people to him by the way you carry yourself in the workplace and how you do your free time. There's no off button. There is no punch out for being a Christian. And that's where Christians have become. They've lost their pulpit, I guess. You want to know why we haven't why we're not seeing people come to know Christ? Because Christians aren't bold enough to actually show up to work and work this way. We've lost our prophetic edge because we oftentimes show up for work and it's punch into work and punch out of Christ. Just reflect on what your conversations this week have been about at the office or wherever it is that you work. What have you talked about with your coworkers? What comes to your mind when you think about this is what I need to talk with people about? I'm, I'm trying to become more relevant and hip and cool as you all stay the same age and I get older. So I made the disastrous decision today to get onto Apple Music and to just, I, I wanted to broaden my horizons. I thought, man, what a cool way to be able to talk about music with our students because I know nothing about music at all. Unless it's like 90s country and 60s, 70s, and 80s rock. Like, they're very two different genres and classical music. Like, so I'm a wild card hybrid guy, but when it comes to talking about anything that's on the radio right now, I am completely lost. So I uh, got on Apple Music and I uh, went to, uh, like, playlists. 
because I'm like, I have no idea what I'm looking for here, and this is incredibly dangerous. So I'm like, okay, global top 100, this should be safe. It's not. But what's funny is all of you know that it's not, and you still listen to it. Like, everybody collectively groaned at the fact that I got on Global Top 100. And, oh, fun fact, for those of you keeping score at home, on the Global Top 100, I I was worried that if Pastor were to walk in my office, I didn't want him to hear, like, F-words being dropped all over the place. So I went in and turned on my explicit content so that it would not allow me to play that, because I had never needed that setting before. But I went to Global Top 100 and scrolled through the list. And I was really disappointed because in the global top 100, when I did that, I was only left with 47 songs. Five and a half hours worth of music, two two hours and 45 minutes of it was immediately cut off because it was explicit. And what's funny is you all think that's hilarious because you're listening to it. And even the stuff that's not explicit is explicit. And then it happened. Someone knocked on my door, which is odd because I'm on the other side of the hallway and no one ever comes to bother me, except for the one day that I'm listening to Global Top 100. And in walks Miss Tess. I'm like, pause button. Hey, what's up? (laughs) And then it hit me. I was concerned because I didn't want a pastor or another staff person to walk in my office and listen to, hear me listening to that, even though it was an experiment in my own failed right to become more relevant, I was concerned about what others would think of me, but it never even crossed my mind to be concerned that there might be something on this list that God needed to inspect. He was always in control and was never walking in disobedience. But you're talking about that with the people you work with, and you wonder why we've lost our prophetic edge. You watch movies that have content that is just unbecoming. Like you wouldn't, like you wouldn't think God would be pleased if He were sitting here next to me. And everybody's like, "That's so cheesy." Like God obviously isn't sitting next to me. No, but the Holy Spirit indwells you, and if you are actually a believer, that should be convicting you when you watch stuff that is unspeakable. For what it means to be a holy Christ follower. But it's unspeakable and you're speaking about it at work with your friends. And you can't figure out why none of them want to come to church or give a rip about the fact that you're a Christ follower. Because you have no prophetic edge. Because you're not holy. God has been raking me over the coals about this. Between this sermon and respectable sins. I'm like, God, let me up off the mat, please. Because it's real easy for me to critique music, and it's real easy for me to critique uh, movies. But then I think about myself. I think about my witty, sarcastic sense of humor that puts other people down, even in a Christian workplace, to get a laugh. And it doesn't bother me. Because even here, I'm losing a prophetic edge and being able to speak into the lives of the people around me because I'm known as being the funny guy, the guy that's quick-witted and can get in a little conversation and put someone down four times real quick. Had another staff member who made fun of pastors a couple months ago. 
that happens here at the office sometimes. If you know pastor at all, you spend any time with him, you'll understand why this happens from time to time. And he jokingly said, you've been hanging around David too much. It was a joke. But the Holy Spirit used it as a moment to go, interesting, isn't it? So don't just think like, oh, there's the college pastor railing on the movies and music that we're listening to. No, I'm saying, why am I not having the prophetic edge? I don't mean some weird prophetic edge of like seeing a vision and telling all these people about some new revelation of God. I'm talking about a Holy Ghost holiness that is prophetic by the way that I live my life because I am so in tune with the spirit that I'm not walking by the deeds of the flesh. And this is what he goes on to say. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there's an inheritance coming that's better. It's far greater than what we could even hope for and imagine. And right now, you're living for whatever job will bring you the most money and give you the most and biggest financial package of payoff. I want a really nice salary with some sick benefits and a wonderful 401k or a 403b. And I want to be able to sit on easy. I want to work hard for the next 30 years of my life. And then I want to retire and waste my life. Let me just tell you, you have in front of you your whole life. And you get to choose one of two options. And I'm going to live as somebody who is compelled by the Spirit to not always take the best and next greatest job that is going to pull me away from the ability to speak into the lives of people around me. Or am I going to live for myself, set myself up so that I can go and hang out in Branson for the rest of my life? And you think, that's not appealing. But just wait until you get older. You'll either move to Branson or you'll move to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is Branson of the East. Or you'll move to Florida, God's waiting room. And you'll waste your life. Man, sometimes I just want to get up in the grill. I want to be careful because there's visitors from this age demographic. I want to get up in the grill of some of our senior saints. And just say, quit living for your own ease and pleasure. Please, come down into our college area and take a college student to lunch once a week. And instead of wasting your retirement, trying to figure out how your wife's not going to kill you for being home, or you're out doing whatever your hobby is, pour your life into somebody that can replicate themselves into so many more people. And you've got the choice right now whether or not you're going to live that way. Because right now, the majority of the people sitting in this room are not masters, they're servants. And you have the greatest prophetic opportunity to live boldly, to speak boldly, to make much of Jesus in the marketplace. And you're going to lose that opportunity if you don't resolve now to live that way. So I just want to ask a few questions. You know that that's how I help us try and think through these things. I just want to ask you, is it clear at your job that you follow Christ by the way that you work? Not by what comes out of your mouth, 
and by the way that you work and the way that you carry yourself in the workforce. Like if we were to put you in a lineup with your other coworkers, and we were to tell your coworkers to go down the line and tell us what they know most about you, would it even tick on their radar to mention that you are a bold follower of Jesus Christ? Even to the point that they're saying, I don't, even, I don't agree with him. I think the dude's Looney Tunes. I think he's three fries short of a Happy Meal and this whole Jesus stuff. But that dude, that girl, like, is a radical follower of Jesus Christ. And what's motivating the way that you work right now? The next dollar, getting money to go do whatever the next thing is? Or maybe it's your own personal success, the pride in being recognized. Or are you working right now for God's fame and his glory? And I I just want to ask you this, too. I want to ask myself this, probably most, to myself. Am I consumed by getting Christ's inheritance or an inheritance in this world? guess what bottom line is verse 25 says this but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there's no partiality but paul's very clear here that one day we're all going to stand and give an account for our lives and we're going to have to answer for what we've done and how we've lived and then the, the other relationship masters or we could call them bosses look at verse number one masters give your bond servants what is just and fair knowing that you also have a master in heaven now i know that you might think being a boss is a, a ways off but even some of you right now have positions of authority that allow you to exercise them maybe you lead a team in here maybe you're a small group leader maybe you're even a supervisor at the job that you work you command people and, and you're in charge of delegating where they'll go and doing what they're supposed to do Remember what this verse says here. The call is for you to be just and fair. And this would certainly have gotten the high role, the high rent district's attention in that Colossal church. What do you mean that I have to be just and fair? What do you mean that I have to be just and fair and treat people a certain way because I am a master and I have a master in heaven that's calling me to live this way? One day, and it may not be as far off as you think, you'll be responsible for leading people. You'll be responsible, some of you, to pastor people. Some of you will be actually the bosses or your own boss starting your own company and doing your own thing. You have to make a decision. How am I going to treat the people around me? How am I going to take care of them? Am I going to be a good boss, one that is just and fair? Yeah, at times maybe I have to be firm, but am I going to be just and fair in the way that I deal with people? Because ultimately God was just and fair even when he didn't have to be. Think about that. What's just and fair from our Heavenly Father's perspective? That we would be condemned to spend eternity in hell. But in his love and mercy towards us, he sends his son to die for us to be buried and raised again on the third day that we might know what it is to spend eternity with him. Talk about being more than just just and fair. You're going to have to make a decision about who you're going to be as a 
how you're going to lead, how you're going to treat the people around you, what's motivating that? It has to be understanding who ultimately is over me. Even when I'm the leader, there's still someone over me. Even if I'm the president of the United States, which is, again, hot-button topic par excellence right now. But even the president of the United States, whether it's Donald Trump for the next four years when we have another election or it's another candidate that becomes a president, we often think of that position as the highest in the land. But it would behoove Christians to remember that there is someone who even the most, the highest office in the land ultimately will have to give an account for how he leads the people around him. And Christians would do well to remember that. As they think about who they would vote for, as they think about what it means to even respect offices and to look for values and to care about the people who are in leadership over us, even in our own city, when we think about who the mayor is, should impact the way that we think Ultimately, yes, you may be the mayor of Springfield, which I don't know if that's a great job or not. It doesn't really seem to get a whole lot of press, but so it must pay well enough to be an attractive job, but also be one where you don't get a lot of heat. Ultimately, he's subject to God. And so are you, regardless of whether you're an employee, a boss, whether you're in charge or whether you're not. Ultimately, we all give an account to God one day. And the number one question that we're going to be asked before we're ever asked how we treated people or how we led is going to be, what have you done with who I am? Have you submitted to my lordship or are you living for your own glory and fame? So tonight you may sit here and you may think through this whole sermon, oh, I can be a better employee or I can be a better boss. You can't be either of those things if you have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It will be impossible to pull all of this off unless you first bow your knee to our ultimate master, to our ultimate father, to our ultimate authority and sovereign ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your greatest need first and foremost. Then being a better employer, a better worker, a better boss comes after that. We must always remember that that's people's greatest need because that will motivate the way that we treat one another. Let's pray.